RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Good morning, everybody, on a Friday. It is another day of Duffified Live. Uh, I hope you guys are having a great week. Uh, since last week's episode with Tori Lebecki, <clears throat> I got to hang out in Vegas um, all last week. Uh, my culinary assistant, Jordan, and I went out to work on the KBiz IHB and NAHB show, which is the Kitchen, Bath, and Industry show, the International Home Builder show, which was amazing. I mean, literally, it's like three floors, it seems like, within three convention centers. There's 100,000 people that walk through, and I have the luxury of being able to work with General Electric appliances and some of their really cool stuff. Um, I work on these crazy pieces of equipment and they're really amazing. The Advantium and all this other stuff that I do, it's kind of fun. So, um, but in the meantime, while I was out there, I got to hang out and see some friends. Um, I went out with, uh, my good friend, Diana small, If you're on Instagram or Twitter. That's shoop D smalls. Um, she's a bartender out there, just a total rock star. Um, as well as with all my GE friends, man, just another great, great week. And, and it was in Vegas. I hardly even went out. I went out. Well, I went out a little bit. I went out two nights. I went to the double down my first uh, night out there, which is one of my favorite bars, which is this awesome dive bar. Uh, I can't even tell you where it is. All I know is it's like across the street from a Seven Eleven and next to a 24 hour dispensary. So it's just a great bar. Uh, next night I went out, I went to uh, the pepper mill, which is like uh, an old school, kind of lounge in Vegas that's all the way at the end of the strip, my kind of vibe, super casual, super chill, um, got to sit by a fire for most of the night, chat with my good friend Linky Mare, who was out there uh, doing some GE stuff as well. So it was just kind of a good week, man. I flew home late Friday night, uh, girls all day Saturday, my girls and I chilled out on Saturday and Saturday night, and then I flew out at 8.30 Sunday morning. So I literally was home for like... 24, 30 hours, I believe it was. Um, and then boom, then here I am. I'm in San Jacinto, California this week. I get to play around, um, doing a super secret project that I can't tell anybody about just yet, but I promise you that you will hear it. I'm in a little town I'm overlooking right now, uh, a little strip mall. And then past that is just farm fields for as far as I can see. And I'm literally in the middle of the San Jacinto mountains. So it's a beautiful view as I look out my, my window of the Hampton Inn because we spare no expense on this trip. Um, and that's where we are. So um, I have, oddly enough, I've been to two fun little restaurants. El Zarape in San Jacinto is a Mexican place that was awesome. In a town where there are 100 fast food places and three sit-down places, I happened to find one of the little Mexican places that was just awesome. Off the beaten path, good stuff, really fun. Last night went out for some pho. Nice job, a little place called Lemongrass. They did a nice job, you know, just kind of cool and fun and simple. Uh, in the world of outside of me, uh, my travel and all that. Oh, by the way, GE, let me tell you something fun. I spent three days just doing, um, uh, just doing 
demos. I did eight demos a day and talked for eight demos a day. It was pure mayhem trying to uh, do this. I literally we did like four to five different dishes each time. It was just a blast. So much fun. But I don't know why I kind of digressed into that. But guess what had happened? So um, this week's going to be kind of a quick show. Uh, I have uh, a crazy schedule this week, but I didn't want to miss an opportunity to talk to you guys and get everything going with you guys. Um, this week is going to be kind of a weird show. I, I don't, uh, you know, it's a little talky talk in the beginning. Then we have a gentleman um, who's going to be on the show who is uh, not a lot of people know who he is. I just thought it would be interesting to have this gentleman on because we're coming up on uh, like I guess it's the 25th anniversary. Let me see. I can't believe it's been 25 years since we have had uh, two people in our uh, lives that uh, you never thought would have ever been in there. And we're talking about John and Lorena Bobbitt. Now, before everybody gets all super excited and shit, unfortunately, I do not have John and Lorena Bobbitt on the show. But who I do have is Clay Kokalis, who was the lead juror, the foreman, the foreman on the uh, trial. So uh, we're going to be chatting with him, because it's just the craziest story. I mean, it literally, there's like twists and turns to it that are maniacal, including the one where she hired a publicist and they changed the date of the trial because nobody was going to watch the trial during December and Christmas. So they actually moved the date to in January so that uh, more people would watch the trial and watch the hearings. I find that to be a little bit crazy, but uh, we're going to run with it. So, um, Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to do me a big favor, and I want you to welcome to Duffified Live, Clay Kokalis, who's the foreman for the juror on the Lorena Bobbitt trial. Remember, she cut off his dick. That's craziness. Here we go. Hey, Clay, what's going on, man? How are you today? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? I'm, I'm sitting in the, the hills of California, uh, getting ready to go on a nice long day at work, but I'm excited to talk to you today, sir. Awesome. So, Clay, why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you tell me who you are, what you do, and how we can get in contact with you? Uh, okay, sure. So my name is obviously Clay Kokalis. I run sales uh, for a division of a company called Epic in the legal services uh, industry. And anybody can get a hold of me at my Yahoo email address, which is ccokalis at yahoo.com. Very nice. And Clay, one of the reasons we're talking today is you had a pretty iconic role in an iconic case that we are talking about today, which is the Lorena and John Bobbitt trial. Yes. Yes, indeed. It's hard to believe it was 25 years ago. I, I, when I was looking at the, when I was going through my research yet last night and today, I was like, holy shit, that was 25 years ago. Yeah. Hard I, I just to can't. I can't fathom that. So, so I mean, I, I, let's walk through the process a little bit of, I mean, you know, you get selected as a juror for this and then you're sitting down. I mean, at what point did you find out what case you were involved in? Yeah, you know, that's, that's actually funny because the first time I was called for jury duty in Virginia, uh, my wife and I, you know, I was on vacation. So I remember Hey, watch me get on the Bobby case. And I didn't give it a second thought. 
And then I got called again and I didn't give it a second thought because I, I had done jury duty in California. And when you do jury duty in California, there's lots of cases. So, you know, it didn't even dawn on me until the night before uh, the register or the clerk called and said, Hey, we want all potential jurors to come in the back door tomorrow because we're expecting a circus. And I'm like, huh. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there'd be a circus, but man, when I showed up, there were hot dog trucks. There, there were, there were so many satellite trucks. It was unbelievable. And then it started dawning on me like, okay, yeah, that case could be going on today, but it never dawned on me that that was the only case that was, uh, going, that was going on. And right. then I thought like, what are the chances that I'm going to actually get, you know, seated. So when you're, when you're, when you're sitting in there, I mean, at what point did you know that that was your, that it, that it was, that that was the case? I mean, you're sitting down and they start reading the charges. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So they started to, you know, the judge just made a little preamble saying, Hey, I'm not going to bother asking if anybody's heard of this case because I'm sure you all have. And then I started, oh wow. my God. <laughs> And then I'm like, you know, there's a pool of like, uh, I forget, there's at least 60 of us. And like, all right, what are the chances that I'm actually going to get seated? And both my parents were lawyers. My mother was a judge at the time. So right. I thought for sure they would, you know, kick me off in, in one of the preemptive challenges. So when they called my name, you know, right away, I'm like, all right, well, I made it this far. Uh, but I never thought I, I would actually see any of that case as a juror. That's on. I mean, that's that's pretty fun. I mean, so now you've you've all heard about it. We all have made jokes. I mean, it went on forever. Saturday Night Live. I mean, every single, you know, uh, late night uh, talk show host was talking about it. It was in the news all over the place. And it was really uh, I mean, just a huge it seemed like a blow to America with, yeah. you know, men against women at that point. And it was a yeah. constant joke that went on. So, I mean, were there, how, how, what did that feel like sitting there knowing that this was what you were going to be doing? I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I seriously, if we had had cell phones at the time and were able to text, I would be texting everybody saying, you'll never believe what case <laughs> I'm, sit, I'm, I'm sitting on. Uh, you know, and then the funny part is, is like, I still thought I would get, uh, you know, rejected, but the judge, he was, he was a really interesting judge. He was a no nonsense judge. Didn't, you know, didn't really care about what you've heard and any kind of, all he asked is like, can you, can you have a fair and open mind? And it's like, yeah. So like, I think the only people that got kicked off were people that had some kind of spousal abuse, uh, you know, in their backgrounds. But other than that, he didn't really care about letting anybody off that jury for any other reason. Now, how, how long was the jury selection process for you guys? And the fourth war process was amazingly short. I think it was four hours. It was. Oh, okay. It was like I was, the, the judges in the South or the judges in Virginia. It was no nonsense. So he wanted that case going and he got that case going. And the whole case, remarkably, was only a week long. It started on Monday, ended on a Friday. Wow. Jeez. And then, so for you guys, I mean, were you guys, you guys weren't sequestered or anything, correct? No. Because, no, I mean, it was such it really, a, go ahead. Yeah, it's really hard. Because, like, I was a huge Howard Stern fan at the time. 
So like there was, it was really hard. They tell you not to listen to any of the news, but like it's all around you. My God, you know, yeah. This was the advent of court TV. So I came home, my wife was like, Hey, did you see this? I'm like, no, I wasn't in the courtroom at the time because they were arguing motions. So don't tell me about it. Oh, wow. And my, my mother, who's a judge would call me and say, so tell me about it. I said, mom, you're a judge of, <laughs> of, of all people. You know, I can't discuss it with you. Oh, it's different because I'm your mother. That's, that's the best mom answer ever right there. My mother would have said yeah. the same exact thing. That's so funny. So, okay. So now you guys are sitting down. It's the first day of trial. And, and I mean, what is it? What's it? I mean, you're staring at a woman who just cut off a gentleman's penis. Yeah, well, what is even worse is because I'm the youngest on the jury. Okay. I, I swear to you, she kept making eye contact with me. So if I'd move around in the jury box, she would, her eyes would follow me. Oh, and it was man. Like, a, like unnerving, unnerving uh, to have that, have that happen. Uh, but, you know, it was an interesting case because he was obviously tried before her. And so this was her case. Uh, and yet I just have to say he was, you know, he was a terrible witness. I remember distinctively the prosecutor asking him questions, his defense lawyer, uh, getting, a, a, an objection and hey, he would Clay. answer the question anyway. Yeah. Clay, hold on. I'm sorry. We lost you for a second there. Uh, what happened was you, you had started to talk about him. He was tried prior to, and then you, you so right. repeat that again, if you would. Yeah, sure. So this was the second of two cases because he was tried first for, for raping her, but right. he was exonerated. So this was the second trial. Um, and it, it was just interesting. And I was saying that he was a terrible witness. Every time he was called to the stand, if the prosecution asked him a question, his own defense attorney would win the objection and John would answer the question anyway in an incriminating way. So it's like, dude, <laughs> did you, did you not just hear your lawyer object to the question and the judge, you know, you know, sustaining the objection. So, you know, it's just pretty wild. And I know a lot of research that, that I had done says that he was just kind of not the sharpest knife in the drawer, you know, yeah, that he that was, would, that would be an understatement that his intelligence level was uh, below average, shall we say. Um, yeah, and it, it's sad because when you look at now, you know, because you don't have all those facts, but it, it, people took advantage of him afterwards. Like, oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't think he ever made any money. I think that, you know, he was just exploited and he wasn't smart enough uh, not to let them do it to him. Yeah, well, he became a porn star. Yeah, that's amazing. Yes, yeah, totally amazing. So, so now sitting in the in the courtroom, I, I mean, and you're listening to all of this go down. I mean, I, I guess in a way, my question is, how is it that we're taking this seriously? And, and I understand what your job is. I understand the job of a foreman. I understand the job of the jury. But I mean, at this point, this has been a, a case that's just been made fun of yeah. across the board. Uh, you know, it was it was really interesting to me, uh, and you could obviously tell from my opinion when the lawyers got to her, because it was really interesting that the the policeman that interviewed her 
really ended up helping exonerate her because he, you know, it was interesting because their verbatim testimony, she had a hundred percent recall. She remembered, you know, going to the kitchen, opening the refrigerator, having the light of the refrigerator illuminate a knife. She grabbed the knife, went back into the bedroom, and she remembered explicitly pulling back the covers, holding the penis, cutting it off, taking it with her. She stole a Game Boy from, you know, the guy he brought home, the guy that was living there, stole 100 bucks from him and took the penis with her. And she remembered where she threw it out uh, in, in extreme detail. And wow. then at the end of the, the end of the interview, the cop said to her, so I guess you, you really didn't know what you were doing. Did you? And it's like, what? you know, and then all of a sudden after she talked to a lawyer and on the stand, she had no recollection of anything that happened that night. And it's like, wow, it was just so obvious to me. You had total recall until you talked to a lawyer and then all of a sudden the lawyer, you know, you had no recall. So it was, I, I think it was one of the more interesting cases in and of the fact that, uh, you know, the original, the original vote was uh, completely along gender lines, seven to five, seven men or seven women wanted to quit her, five men wanted to convict her. And then it just whittled down to it was 11 to one. I was the only one who was holding out. And it's not that I didn't think he deserved it. But, you know, based on the law in the Commonwealth of Virginia for irresistible impulse, not guilty by reason of insanity, I just didn't think she met that criteria because I think she unequivocally knew exactly what she was doing. Right. On the other hand, he probably deserved pretty much everything that she gave him. So I think it was a this was a case where the the jury wanted to play judge and jury. Right. And our legal system, you know, allows that. Now, I mean, while you guys are sitting there, what, what was the the trial, the testimonies like? I mean, was it just going back and forth? I mean, I can't remember. Was she up on, she was up on the stand and she, yeah. you were saying that she had talked and she went through everything. How many more times were they being brought up? They were, they were up there quite a bit. Um, and, you know, I, I can tell that, you know, there was a, it looked like the prosecutor felt sorry for her. Right. It looked like some of the people felt sorry for her. Uh, and, you know, they did bring a lot of incriminating evidence from a context perspective. I mean, the cops had been out to that house three or four times. Oh, wow. She had told, she had told other people that she worked with and around her that, that she was being abused and that she was afraid for her life. Uh, I mean, you know, there was no doubt that, they, they they portrayed him as a as a bad drunk. That when he was drinking, he would abuse her. He would hit her, uh, you know, force her to have sex or whatever the case. But I, that doesn't mean that she didn't. <laughs> she still was not insane at the time she did it. She knew exactly what she was doing. In, in my opinion, to this day, I think she knew what she was doing. Guys. I travel all over the world and I open restaurants, okay? I consult on restaurants. I do restaurants literally on a week-in and week-out basis. One of the biggest things that I see, the biggest problems that I find, is the fact that the restaurant owners are having difficulty working within their POS system, okay? Talking about the difficulty of tracking data, not taking days off, or spending way too much time on a POS system, 
A POS, by the way, for you guys who don't know, is called a point of sale system, and it just doesn't work. Okay. Cake is a point of sale system that lets bar and restaurant owners focus on the guest experience. What that means is you're not sitting in an office staring at a computer screen trying to pull reports, figure out what your sales were, any of that. So you got to stop worrying about all that stuff because of the fact that there's a new system by Cisco called Cake. And Cake is going to do all of that for you. You automatically save information and review it later from anywhere. All right. Here's the deal. No matter where you are, you can check in on your daily reports and know that they're going to be up to date. You want to chill out on the boat with the family with a couple of beers in your hand? Guess what? Open up your phone. You're ready to rock and roll. You know exactly what's going on. You're out with the girls. You're hanging out. Everybody's partying. A couple of cocktails. Some martinis are flowing back and forth. You've got it covered. You know what's exactly going on in the restaurant. Vacation, we got you covered there too because we track you guys 24-7. Plus, guess what? You guys get 24-hour, seven-day support, which is almost unheard of in the POS industry because they normally charge you for that stuff. So here's the deal. To get started with Cake, what you're going to do is you are going to check out trycake.com forward slash Duffy. All right. And for all the podcast listeners that are out there right now, you're getting a $750 off of the activation fee. That's a 75% discount. With that discount, you guys are going to get user-friendly point of sale that includes, like I said, cloud reporting and a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week support. So here's where you're going to go. Trycake.com forward slash Duffy and take a look. Remember, you're getting 75% off of the activation fee. Again, that's trycake.com forward slash Duffy. Cake makes restaurant management easy. So the final outcome from this was what for these two? I mean, not, at what, sorry, so he, both of them uh, were not convicted. He was, I don't, I don't, they just found him not guilty. Right. We found Lorena uh, not guilty by reason of insanity. And she had to spend 45 days in a mental hospital uh, in evaluation. And then they, I, they, they let her go after those 45 days. Wow. Now, I mean, you were saying you had held out because you had felt that she had done it. What, what was the swaying point for you? It was literally that I wasn't going to convince uh, 11 other people. And it was funny because the, the bailiff had a cup coming in and saying, hey, you know, you've got like, I don't know how many, uh, 200 press people out here and they can hear your argument because <laughs> I have a loud voice. They can hear me <laughs> arguing with the jurors. And then, then it got to be, it really got to be absurd. Some of the other jurors were, were talking about the irresistible impulse law and saying that, well, you know, it was irresistible impulse because when she had the knife in her hand and she started the motion down to sever his penis, that was irresistible impulse. I'm like, oh my God, that is not even close to the definition. Right. But then it was, it, it was interesting because we, you know, they gave us jury instructions and we went back and tried to ask the judge some additional questions about irresistible impulse. And uh, they refused to they refused to clarify anything on the jury statement. Really? Which. Yeah. Which I don't even understand. I even asked my mom and, you know, she she didn't understand why he would not uh, provide any additional direction either. I mean, so now at this point, when you guys, I mean, you're going home at the end of the day, what, what's it like for you guys leaving? I mean, did they know who the jurors were at that point? Were you guys visible on camera? No. You know, it's interesting because now that some of the, uh, the documentaries are coming out, I keep wanting to see what I looked like 25 years ago, <laughs> <laughs> but they, but they, they didn't, they didn't show any of the, uh, any of the jurors. 
So that was no, another I, story because we we all said that we weren't going to talk to the press. Uh, we all kind of made a pact. And then, uh, you know, when I got when I got home, literally, I lived three miles from the courthouse. There were five or six satellite trucks on my driveway uh, because they read my name with the verdict because I was the foreman. Right. So they tracked me down pretty quickly. So, I mean, and you just came to a point that you were like, I'm just not going to get my point across. I mean, because yeah, there wasn't. I mean, when they started talking about, you know, irresistible impulse being when the, the knife hand was coming down, and you couldn't stop it. Right. And I'd lost every other male on that jury. Yeah. Uh, I just realized that it, it was either going to be a hung jury or I was going to have to, you know, acquiesce. You know, at the end of the day, I could live with it because I still know and I still think that the other jurors really, truly believed for the most part that she knew what she was doing, but that he was such a loser and such a abuser that, you know, that I think that they could justify it that way. And my argument was, hey, we're not the judge. That's the judge's job, not ours. Right. You guys literally just have to have to make a decision at that point. Yeah. And so with you guys being in the courtroom and everything, I mean, was there were there snicks and snickers and sneers? And you know, I mean, were people kind of laughing as, as the conversations uh, going on? Well, there are some really interesting points. So they had the the, the vascular microvascular surgeon that reattached his penis on the stand and they were questioning <laughs> okay. him <laughs> and the. I think it was the prosecutor was questioning him about how hard, uh, you know, trying to the severity of this injury. And so I think the defense attorney said, well, can I just ask you a medical question? Which is more difficult, reattaching a finger or reattaching a penis? And doctors, oh, a finger's way more complicated. It's got all these, all these more, more nerves, little blood vessels. And then the prosecutor said, well, excuse me which would you rather have reattached? <laughs> so there, there were some points of levity. Obviously, you know, I, you couldn't make this up if you tried. When the, the police officers testified and where they, the Manasseh police officers found the penis, they had a empty 7-Eleven hot dog box in their right. cruiser, of course, because they're cops. Right. And they put the penis in the hot dog box and brought it to the hospital. And they testified to that. So it's like, you know, that's why they had all these hot dog trucks out there in the parking lot. Like, Oh was, my there, God. There were really, uh, some times, uh, of levity. And then there were, there were, you know, sober moments like in the jury room when they passed around that knife and they passed around the photograph of his body with the severed penis. Like, man, she did a surgical cut, man. Like that was, really? that was like, uh, it was disturbing how, she cut that off with like, there was no nub. It was, I fuck hard to believe they actually could reattach that. Really? It was that she just grabbed and pulled and just sliced and just sliced. And the fact, well, the fact that they can reattach it in its own, is its own little scientific miracle, I think. Yeah. But yeah, <clears throat> so, I mean, if this, let me ask you this question because there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions about, not even questions, there's been a lot of statements now that it's 25 years later about how that case would have been handled now compared to then. 
You know, I mean, in, in the in the face of, of Me Too, in the face of yeah. everything that's going on in our country, where we do have a division and we do have, you know, a, a kind of a new world with the way things are. I mean, how would that, how do you feel that that would have been handled differently today as opposed to back then? I think that's a great question. I think it, it, would, it would be crazy on the women's rights side. I right. think that there would probably be, 20 husbands or, or men around the country who also would have had their penises cut off in some kind of support movement for the reina that had happened oh, today. Jesus. But I think, I mean, it's a shock and I hate to say it, I guess maybe it's just in this day and age where we have so much communication in so many different levels. It's shocking to me and maybe I'm a little weird. Maybe I'm, I'm a little morbid. I find it odd that there weren't more of these cases where people are like, wow, that sounds like a great idea. I'm going to go cut yeah. my husband's dick off. I mean, it's like, I, I, I just find it I'm weird surprised that, too. that we didn't yeah, hear yeah. that much more about it afterwards. Yeah. And then it, you also have my, my father who thinks he has a great sense of humor who sent my wife a set of Henkel knives uh, just as a reminder for me to be a good boy. Oh my God. That's brilliant. I love it. That's something, you know, my, I think my father would have done the same exact thing, you know, sending that across. So, I mean, 25 years later, are you, I mean, are, is anybody else reaching out to you? I mean, have you heard from, because there's a lot of articles that are now coming out. I mean, I was just doing, like I said, that research and I'm finding just, you know, article after article of this whole thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, it's funny. Cause I did a lot of television afterwards uh, and then CNN kept calling me like I did the original burden of proof, uh, episodes with Greta right. Van So I was on her show before it even started. And then I did, you know, a bunch of television and CNN kept calling me when the OJ case came out, I did a bunch more appearances because really? they wanted to talk to, you know, other jurors who were on high profile juries. And then it just kind of died down until, you know, the last year or so. There's been more interest, you know, uh, you know, uh, Amazon just released their four show series about this, uh, and they interviewed me for that. So that's, that was kind of interesting. Right. I still find it weird that the guy's name is John Wayne Bobbitt. Like he's a serial killer. They throw in the middle yeah. name into but everything. They, but then he used to sign his name, John Claude Von Bobbitt and everything, you know, oh. I used to think he was like a real badass Marine. And it's sad that even the Marines kicked him to the curb. So, yeah, I mean, apparently he's just not, he hasn't really done anything in his life at all, which is just a shame. I mean, I'm reading an article that came out in June of 2018 and, uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're just, they're, they're, you know, they're still talking about, you know, the guy and his porn career at this point yeah. for what he had done. So, um, I, don't know, I, I think it's kind of weird. I mean, w were there any kind of surprises or shocks during the trial that were that you were like, wow, I, I mean, I can't believe they're talking about this or wow, I can't believe that happened. No, I mean, not nothing really. I think the, the interesting thing was just to listen to the different psychiatrists, the psychologists talking, you know, for the defense and for the state. Um, and to me, it still goes back to that one cop who, by the way, had retired and did not even testify in court. So the one police officer that were, where she went down to the police station and he interviewed her for four hours, you know, it, it was just really bizarre how he 
you know, he basically gave her the excuse. He put words in her mouth. Like, I guess you, you really didn't know what you were doing, did you? And that was her entire defense. So just kind of leading her through that whole part. Yeah. So that one cop gave her that, that out for insanity. Now, to be fair, maybe he heard something in those four hours that convinced him, but you know, it was obvious that she had a hundred percent recall. She, she was providing such specificity about that night um, that it's amazing. And then all of a sudden after a lawyer, you know, I really don't remember. Well, wait a second, an hour ago, you had total recall. <laughs> right. <laughs> and now you don't remember. So that was a little hard to, hard and there to was, reconcile. And, and there was no kind of rebuttal. There was no uh, question from, from uh, John Wayne's attorney at that point. It was just, just kind of walked through. Right. Well, they, they, they all fought over little things like, you know, well, would somebody of their right, you know, mind take, sever a penis, take the penis, and then also rifle through somebody's pockets for a Game Boy and steal a hundred bucks. So one side would say that clearly says that she knew what she was doing because she had the wherewithal to search for that stuff and take it. And the other one would say, it's crazy to cut off a penis, take that penis, and then, oh, by the way, I could use a Game Boy with it as well. So it's <laughs> right. interesting how, how both sides would take the same fact and argue different conclusions based on those facts. And what was the, I mean, what was the, the, the general outcome from the psychiatrist and, and, and that sort of stuff that were, I mean, cause it's, I mean, was it literally just going into that plea of insanity every time? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it takes a, a lot. Battered, battered life syndrome, you know, cause he had forced her to have an abortion and she said that was running through her mind. I mean, she said, I mean, there were like, to your point about points of levity in her, in her statement to the cop, she was saying, you know, he came in, he raped me, he came, I didn't get to come. Like, oh my well, God. Okay. If every woman who <laughs> didn't get satisfaction cut off their partner's <laughs> penis, wow, what a, what a scary world that would be. We'd have a lot less population in that case. We'd have a lot less population. Wow, but that's it, amazing. Know, it was just, <laughs> it was a, Interesting case. It kept the psychiatrists uh, both very busy on both sides. But so now one of the psychiatrists oh. did change his testimony. So he originally he was more helpful for the state, but then you know he said that he had a change of heart and, uh, when he testified again and thought that she could have some kind of post-traumatic stress disorder or battered battered wife syndrome. So I think that really. Uh, impacted all the female jurors and, and some of the male men as well. So uh, and now you guys were in, del in deliberation for six hours yep. during that time frame, And it was, I mean, you had said it started to get a little bit loud because you have a loud voice. And, um, and then it ultimately was like, you know what, we're just, we're never going to get anywhere. This is what we're going to do. And then you have to stand up on now. Were you, did you have to stand up or were you just, did you hand over the document and the judge read the document? I handed over the document and the clerk reads the verdict and then reads out the foreman's name. So that's why by the time I got home, I literally, I, I lived 15 minutes away from the courthouse. There was already, like I said, six trucks and there was an ice storm. So wow. two of them had fl slid off my driveway uh, <laughs> on top of that. 
So have you kept up with any of this? I mean, just on a pure interest level over the last yeah, 25 you, years? You know, it's funny because every time there's a Bobbit joke or any time anybody sees anything in the news, I always get an email or a phone call. And, you know, particularly when he got in trouble again. So, you know, he went to jail, I think, either one or twice, again, for domestic abuse. Really? Uh, so that kind of does make you feel somewhat vindicated. Like, even though I know she knew what she was doing, he did deserve it because he went on to beat up and abuse other women as well. And I think she got in trouble for hitting her mother. So they both continued to to get into trouble. And then I just found out recently that he's been making overtures to her, like, hey, if we got back together, just think of how much money we could make. Like, that's just sad. Yeah, I was I was reading that as well. That he's and and she's like, you know, basically, I, I, look, I cut your dick off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't like, want to be really, what part of this? What, what part of this do you not understand? Yeah, but but also there's a lot of talk about the fact that she had hired a publicist and that the 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 trial itself was pushed. It, it, they, you know, and and one of her one of the publicist comments was, well, nobody's going to watch this during Christmas. Yeah, I don't know whatever, because I knew she was going to sign a book deal, but part of her issue was she also got taken advantage of. The woman who owned the nail salon that she worked for right, ended up like negotiating uh, with, the, with the media and everything and took a chunk of everything, so... Oh. Yeah, huh. they both were, they were both taken advantage of. I, huh. I mean, she was, she... <laughs> She was certainly, there's no, never any justification for hitting a woman. Uh, of course. There's n no doubt about that, but she was no angel either. Um, but no one deserves that. Right. Of course. No, absolutely. I mean, we're, and we're not trying to say that. I mean, that's a big thing. I mean, uh, they were talking about the fact that they helped her raise over $260,000 for John's medical and legal expenses. And that was, that was uh, through a Howard Stern New Year's Eve special. Yeah. But I think he stiffed him. I don't think he ever paid the the hospital or the surgeon. Oh, really? I think yeah. I think he declared bankruptcy. So I don't know where any of his money went. Wow, that's amazing. Well, you know, I mean, if he's as as nutty as everybody talks about, I'm sure he's you know probably bought a car and moved that moved that way. But yeah, um, but this shows you the the common sense, right? So first of all. If you had your penis severed and reattached, you ought to think you are the luckiest thing in the world to have that reattached and it worked and you can function. What would possess you to try to go out and then get a penis enhancement so you could, <laughs> you know, make a few more dollars? And right. apparently that went really, really poorly. So there is maybe some justice in this world somehow, some way. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Well, Clay, I, I just want to thank you for, for taking some time out of your morning and, and hopping on with me and um, in this weird little world that we live in where we talk about court cases where somebody cuts off somebody's penis. Um, yeah, never told It's a, kind of a weird world. So, But uh, I'm going to keep kind of watching this, and uh, you never know. I'll look out and see if uh, we, uh, you, know, you get some more interviews out of this or whatever. I'd love to, love to see a little bit more about it. Cool. All right. I appreciate it. You have a great day. Great talking to you. Well, that was quite possibly one of the weirdest uh, things that we did. But honestly, I, I got a phone call from a friend of mine who said, hey, I met uh, the lead or the foreman from the Lorena Bobbitt trial. And I thought, you know what? Why not? Let's get this guy on. I want to hear a little bit about it. 
So it's kind of cool that he was, uh, you know, so open about that whole thing. But the fact that, you know, she was being led, excuse me, she was being led by, uh, by the cops is pretty funny, but I've heard about that before, you know, where there's kind of an innocent situation in one way where, you know, somebody does something. I have a friend of mine who years ago, uh, you know, she was driving down the road. She probably had too much to drink and, uh, she actually sideswiped a car, but it was the weirdest thing because the cop, the state trooper who was talking to her was saying, okay, so when did you, you know, when did you have a drink? And she was like, well, you know, I had a drink here. I had a drink there. And he's like, but you stopped drinking after what point, you know? So it was almost like he was leading her into, into, uh, you know, uh, the proper questioning in so many ways. So look, I've heard about that before, you know, maybe not as blatant as this situation with Lorena Bobbitt, but um, I am going to tell you this, that I am going to do my best to get Lorena Bobbitt and John Bobbitt on this show. So if anybody's listening to this and you have contacts for them, I want to hear. Now, they're probably not going to talk to me because they're probably going to want to get paid for their interview. But guess what? I'm not paying anybody for an interview. So it's our goal, Duffified Live and people out there, to make sure that we do everything in our power to get John and Lorena Bobbitt on this show. And I think one of the best things to do would be to have one on and then we'll do an immediate show right after. We'll have like a two-hour episode. So that's my goal right now. So we're going to work on getting John and Lorena Bobbitt on this show. Um, with that being said, it's a, uh, like I said, it was going to be a quick show today. Uh, I got my, uh, you know, we got clay on to talk about that. I really want to thank clay for coming out. Um, just a, a, a very nice guy who was obviously put into kind of a weird position at that point to have, uh, you know, to be thrown into that thing. And then it's weird enough that his parents were both, you know, his father was an attorney and his mother was a judge. So to think about a person like that, who's sitting on the foreman, who at this point has heard law talked about, who has, has had probably seen, I don't want to use the word argument because his parents were married, but to have those conversations at a table where an attorney is talking to a judge, this guy was pretty educated moving into this. And for him to be the guy who held out and then ultimately just say, there's no way that I'm going to win this or I'm going to get my point across from my feelings. Like that's got to be a really odd feeling. So uh, Clay Kukalis, I want to thank you so much for being on the show with me today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your life. Um, everybody, you guys know my deal when I do this. We got to thank the three people that help us out the most on the show. Uh, we got to talk about Jerry and Jason down there at radioinfluence.com. You guys got podcasts. These guys got, got area, man. These guys are looking for great podcasts and these guys do an amazing job. Um, I also want to thank Maggie Gagliardi for doing all of our, uh, our caricature stuff and all of our promo pieces. Michelle out there, techno. Guys, go to iTunes. Tell everybody how much you like us. Uh, you guys want guests on, feel free to come out and talk to me. Text me, message me, send me private messages through Twitter or Instagram. I answer. Um, that's what I got, man. I want to thank you guys for hanging out with me today. Thanks for doing a little bit of Duffified Live and have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a dark to light with Frank and Beans quick fix on Radio Influence.
Can you imagine we just got to sit and shoot the shit with the president for an hour on a Friday? I've got things. I've got things to say and ask. And I'll tell you, maybe I don't know if you want to be a, a part of that conversation, but I've got things to ask at least one on one with him. I got to ask him about time travel. I got to ask him about Tesla. <laughs> I got to ask him all the good. Consp- I got to say, OK, listen, Mr. President, Mr. Trump, you have to know how fun the Internet is how fun of a place the internet is, but there's some things that I've just really, I got to ask you about. Okay. So maybe you can't answer, but maybe some winks and nods. I don't know. I'm going to put it on out there. Do you have time travel technology? (laughs) That's number one. And we can go to other things too. I want to ask about a lot, but that would just be fun. And, um, and we'd never have to worry about the, the media again, because he would be he would be anointing independent media sources in big ways. That'd be let great. Me, let me tell you something before we close up shop here today. He's they're they're transitioning that way right now, and let me tell you why. Pascal um, retweets Shem. Um, the president pins Carpe Donctum to the top of his profile. These are people I have personal relationships with. Mm. He retweets Brandon's march. The gap is being bridged. There's never been a president in history who has been this personally connected to his his base. Dark to Light with Frank and Beans can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.